Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome to the ninth episode of the Blue Note Podcast on the Believe Network. It is uh, an interesting episode nine. The season officially over. We've already done a, a, a full, you know, at least quick reaction to the season ending um, last week, but we wanted to sit down and kind of reflect even more on the season um, and what it was for episode number nine, uh, which is the episode that's dedicated to Sir Paul Korea. Very, very good. How do you not go? Yeah. Yeah. How do you not go with him? Just maybe not the best of blues careers, but just such a fantastic career cut way too short. He was, can you imagine Paul Korea playing today? Yeah, he would be yeah. a perfect fit for what the NHL is now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep, episode nine, Paul Korea. So, yeah, I mean, just a great player, uh, no doubt. Um, all right, so before we get into this, uh, thank the listeners, of course. Um, June 6th is the date of this podcast being recorded, probably uploaded on June 7th if I had to guess, but you never know. Um, but make sure you uh, subscribe follow us everything uh there is to do with that on twitter at tbn pod you can talk to us on there um got some good feedback positive feedback from your discussion with uh with ryan last week for episode number eight that was fun that was a good one great great insight there and that's how we throw a transition now over to the uh springfield thunderbirds and where they're at right now so you can update the folks on their situation in the american hockey league playoffs yeah, they're currently in the Eastern Conference Finals here right now against the Laval Rocket. The series is currently tied one to one, and the Thunderbirds did experience their first. This is crazy. Their first postseason loss yesterday. They're in the finals, and they have just now experienced their first loss. So during Game One, the Rocket took an early one nothing lead here at the um, fifteen eleven minute mark here of the second period. But the T-Birds tied the game with just under three minutes left to play off of a shot from the point by Brady Lyle. We actually did talk about him on the podcast with Ryan Smith here as well. So if you had the chance, again, um, go back and listen to the episode. He had some great stuff to talk about here with uh, Brady Lyle. Then in overtime, it was the former Rocket himself, Matthew Pekka, scoring the game-winning goal. Just over 10 minutes here left into overtime. Joel Hofer. Looked like just a mere mortal, stopping 41-42 shots. He he made it look easy. Just made it look easy. The Rocket did even the series here, though, taking an early 2-1 to lead during Game 2 of the first period and then took a commanding lead 4-1 to after 40 minutes of play. The Thunderbirds were ultimately able to um, tie – I'm sorry uh, – score one more goal here during the third period here by Clem Costin, but – um, they ultimately fell four to two here during the game in itself. Chucky Sideburns, Charlie Lindgren here with the loss. I'm expecting the Thunderbirds to go back to Joel Hofer here for game three. Game three will be on Wednesday and then game four here on Friday, both of them at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So, again, if you have the chance, definitely peek in, kind of see what these guys here are doing um, and be able to root these guys on here to hopefully have a chance here at the Calder Cup. Yeah, it'll be definitely something that Blues fans should tune into. Um, 
seeing a lot of players that were either up here for a period of time or some of them will eventually be up here um, in St. Louis. So that'll be good. I agree. Hofer is the guy to go back to for game three. I like that they have two goaltenders, but I also think that clearly the numbers have shown that Hofer has been the better of the two in the American Hockey League. Yeah. Especially as of late. Yeah, Ryan Smith had a lot of really good stuff to say about him. You know, something started clicking near the end of the season, and Holfer has just been a man possessed here towards the end of the season. So I think you got to be able to ride the hot hand here going um, here for the rest of the series. No doubt. All right, let's uh, move over to the Blues now. With the 2021-22 season officially over, Um we move on to the offseason. There's a lot of different interesting things going around in the league in the offseason, but there's also a lot of interesting things going on for the Blues. You did a roundtable review article on the hockeywriters.com. Yep. Um, so if you could just kind of talk about what went into that and uh, what went down with that, I will make sure to link that at the end of the ep- or in the description of the episode. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a couple of of questions here between myself, Ethan, and another gentleman, Stephen Ground here of the Two Guys One Cup podcast here as well. All three of us writers here at thehockeywriters.com. Just some final thoughts here just on the season. You know, we're just going to go through a couple of these questions right now, kind of expand upon our answers. um, And just like Ethan said, just do a quick review here of the season in and of itself. Um, So Ethan, first one here. Thoughts on the season, your overall rating, your thoughts, you know, what do you think? So on the article, I gave it an 8.2, mm-hmm. which I think we we're all around the same range yeah. um, because I think, you know, the reshaping of the roster was a huge part of this season. Like last season's roster was a lot different from what we saw this year. Um, obviously getting sod and getting Buchnevich was, was two huge additions to the four group. And yeah. you also needed growth from Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, and you got it. And um, mm-hmm. they needed, you know, goal scorers to to emerge. And I think that that happened with not only the new guys, but it happened with a, a returning Tarasenko. And it happened with um, Shin and Barbashev scoring 20-plus, O'Reilly and Perron getting there as well. And I think another big part of this is they had – in an unreliable defensive unit, they had one really, really reliable guy, and that was Justin Falk, uh, 16 yeah. goals, 47 points, his best point-per-game season of his career. And I know that off the top of my head because I'm writing his report card, um, <laughs> or I did today. So yeah. I know that that was his best, um, and I know his point total off the top of my head as well because of that. But just a great season for him. And the fact that they were able to be as good as they were and score or get over 100 points with – a season that Bennington had is kind of really says a lot about what, what Doug Armstrong's done with this roster and what Craig Bruby's done as well. And obviously they needed Huso to be as good as he was, but um, I think they were a little bit better than I expected, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. They, they absolutely were, you know, they finished ninth overall in the standings in the entire NHL, you know, third in goals scored here per game at 3.77, 11th in goals allowed at 2.91, a power play that ranked second in the league at 27%, and a penalty kill here that finished fifth at 84.1%. So, you know, you had the combined efforts here between Jordan Bennington and Billy Huso. Bennington looked good at times. Other times, you know, he struggled. Huso here did look good, but some of his underlying metrics 
were a little bit more complimentary here to the team in front of him as opposed to, you know, some of the goals that he necessarily stopped. You know, he had a really, really great um, third and fourth quarter here with the Blues. But again, when he was, I believe it was negative three point, you know, just over negative three um, goals saved above average, you know, Huso should have been turning out some better numbers than what he actually turned out. So um, if the team, and, and this just is to echo exactly what you were saying, if the team had a deeper defensive unit that could have provided more experience and skill, this is a team that could have um, challenged here for the Western Conference title, and they could be playing the Edmonton Oilers right now. And so overall, you know, I gave this season an 8.5 year out of 10. I don't think that the Blues could have done a whole heck of a lot more than what they did. And I was ex extremely happy here with the season. Yeah, I don't think there's really any any um, any reason to be disappointed by the season at all. I mean, it yeah. ended poorly, but overall, you look at it and it was good. So I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, yeah. I mean, and you ran into a juggernaut of a team. I mean, yeah. let's let's be real. They're probably going to win the whole thing. And they're going to look good doing it. They're, you know, gonna, they're, they're incredibly deep. They're going to win the whole thing with the worst goaltender left, probably. <laughs> if, if, if Kemper if Kemper's not healthy, you got Fransos in there. I guess he's probably better than Mike Smith is at this point. But yeah. neither of Colorado's goaltenders is better than Shesterkin or Vasilevsky. So that's true. Uh, that's going to be a big thing. All right. The next question of the roundtable. Yeah. So who was your standout performer here of this season, Ethan? So I think it's easily Vladimir Tarasenko just because of how poorly the last two seasons went with injuries. And then when he came back last year, he wasn't the same mm -hmm. and he figured it out this year. And I think a big part of it is the Blues um, offensive attack being as good as it was and how much better it was around him. Yeah. That it made it a lot easier for him. And he was playing with elite center playmakers all season. I mean, Barbashev was really, really good when he was playing with, with Tarasenko and Buchnevich. And then obviously we know about Thomas Tarasenko, Buchnevich, that line and how good it was. Uh, but he scores 82 points. That's a career high, uh, 34 goals. I think if you're going to pick anybody else other than those two, I would say probably Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo, just because of how much they, uh, you know, produced. We, we kind of, I think what we knew they were, would likely be mm -hmm. they were this season. Like Thomas getting that many assists is is legit. And then Cairo being as good as he was for most of the season, obviously sputtered a little bit towards the end, but that's all right. I mean, he's 23 years old or whatever. So uh but I think Tarasenko's got to be the guy just because of everything that what that that happened and then him coming back and and having 82 points is is legit. Yeah. And you definitely alluded here to my answer here on this because for me it was absolutely a tie between Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. You know, you said here earlier that these guys were definitely going to need to be the ones who would take a big leap forward here in this season. And that's exactly what you got here from them. The emergence and the playmaking ability here of Robert Thomas it has just been proven so, so, so useful here just down the stretch and just even early on with those key injuries to forwards that boy, if Robert Thomas had not been the player and taking the strides here that he needed, this season could have been over and fast here for them. So the emergence here of, of Thomas, him taking the some like the responsibility, even once the forwards did come back, it definitely allowed for some rest and and 
you know, it definitely allowed for these guys to just take an extra step back and just say, okay, let's just start divvying it up. And it allowed Thomas the chance to really flourish here at every single aspect of the game. Cairo, on the other hand, he had this huge coming out party here during the All-Star week. You know, he looked great all season long, but of course, nationally, the All-Star break here at winning the world's, um, the fastest skater award, scoring 27 goals, 75 points in 74 games here this season. The future is looking so incredibly bright for these two forwards, the organization here in itself. And I'm really excited to see what guys like Zach Balduk and Jake Neighbors, you know, and anybody else here coming up is going to look here with him. So those two, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, are my standout players. Yeah, I don't I don't really think there's anybody else worthy of being on the list. I mean, maybe Buchnevich with how good he was in his first season scoring 30 goals. First I think it would have been Blues. Joel Hofer, too. Yeah. I also think that um, if you look at somebody that probably doesn't get enough uh, you know, love from the fan base could be somebody like a um, who the hell am I thinking of? Barbashev. Why well, I don't know I've why there's so many so many Russians on this yeah. team. I really slipped. Uh, I'm watching the Oilers Avalanche game intermission. It's just a whole. I'm distracted. But what can you do? Um, so yeah, I just feel like Barbashev season kind of got wiped away with his bad playoff performance. So yeah. that's yeah. unfortunate, but. Well, and like you alluded here to a couple of episodes ago, Barbashev is a guy who we could potentially see as a as a guy who would be able to move on. So, But I think we're going to get more into that here in just in, in a little bit. So who is a player, Ethan, that you think is going to need the most improvement going into next season? I think the obvious choice is Colton Pareko. Uh, what I wrote on the thing on the article was Shin and Pareko. And the reason I put Shin is just like, First of all, it's amazing that he had 58 points in 62 games because it did not feel like that. 24 goals as well. He was bad in the playoffs. I just don't think he's bringing what we thought he would bring. I mean, the goal scoring is fine, and he had a lot of points, which is it didn't even feel like he had 58 points in 62 games, but he missed a lot of time. Well, um, was this was this released before or after the team announced that Braden Shen played with multiple broken ribs throughout the season? I think this was before, so okay. – I even after that, I probably, I probably just, I didn't really want to single out Pareko because everybody does it. Yeah. So I threw Shin on there, but I think there is something to be said. Like Shin, it just feels like he doesn't really have a line that fits him perfectly. Like a lot of the forwards on this team have guys that they play with at all times, or they have guys that they know that they're good with. I don't know if I see that with Shin as much. Like I guess him and Barbashev and Kairu, that line was pretty much what they ran in the playoffs a lot. And mm-hmm. it was pretty much Kairou carrying the offensive load there, obviously, because Barbashev and Shin had zero goals in the playoffs. But Shin, as a point scorer, was great this year. But other than that, it just didn't feel like he was as good as he could be. So maybe that's the thing there. But with Pareko, it's just like he's just – he had like a – his numbers in the regular season weren't awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just feels like he should be so much better than he is. The fact that he's not a top 10 defenseman in the league right now is not living up to expectations. Yeah, and it, it definitely hurts the Blues that he is not up there just yet. You know, he made big strides, I think, from January 1st on. 
you know, and and I'll be diving deeper a little bit more into Colton Pareko's performance because I'll actually be writing a report card here for him here shortly. That's going to be a tough but grade. It's it's going to be interesting. I'm going to try and remain as neutral here as possible. Um, but before I go on here to mine, Brayton Shen, I think actually, you know, you mentioned that he doesn't really fit in very well. But at the same time, I think that works to Craig Berube's advantage that he is a player that he could plug in anywhere in any single four line combinations and, and perform very, very well of what's asked here of him. You know, if he needs a guy who to go out, kill a penalty, work on the power play here, he needs to be able to get a jump start here on some offense. He needs just some guys to be able to go out, lay the body, you know, whatever it is, Brayden Shen is that guy. Yeah. And so again, when he was playing the season with multiple broken ribs and he managed to score at nearly a point per game pace, I, I was, I was wowed by him. You know, I was, I was very critical of his performance here this season. Like you said, other than his point production, he just seemed like he was a guy who was kind of lost at times, but boy, maybe he was just trying to be lost on purpose (laughs) to try and avoid as many hits. Here's what he needs. So um, for me, the guy that needs most improvement here is a guy that I've honestly been dogging on here for this entire podcast. And it is Clem Costin, former first round draft pick here. He has yet to show that he can perform here at the NHL level. And he was a guy that we did discuss here again, more AHL talk with Ryan Smith and I think he does just need more time to adjust and he is still only 23 years old. And that's still something for us to be able to remember here about, but he is a guy that I believe needs to show that he can belong in the NHL. And again, maybe it is just taking him a little bit longer. You know, he's coming over from Russia. There's just the transition into the other, into the smaller North American ice, whatever that it is. I just think that he needs to take, another step here in his development to show that he is worthy of that first round draft pick pedigree or honestly Doug Armstrong just needs to say you know what we're going to pair him together here with a trade and start looking to clear out some cap space and hopefully you know the upside of Clint Costin is not overly diminished here just yet and he finds success with another franchise you know, and it would suck to say because I was and I still am hoping for the absolute best for Costin because he looks like he can be a great middle six pairing, tough, physical power forward here for the Blues. And he fits a Blues style of play. But boy, it just seems like that the Blues are quickly running out of spaces to be able to fill with guys like Alexi Torovchenko, um, Nathan Walker here being able to come up, Sam Annis potentially positioning here for a spot and again jake neighbors um potentially here at the spot next year here as well so to me it looks like all the spots here have all run out for clem costin so he's a guy that i think needs again the most improvement going into next year and say either trade me or demand a trade a, um, a roster spot yeah um i think i think it's almost enough with cot like probably one more chance if he gets here next year and plays right away, I think one more chance to be, it's not like the blues have put him in the best situations either. Like you're throwing him on the fourth line. I don't really know how much you expect him to produce. And he's, he's, he's expected to score more than Torpchenko. 
Torpchenko is not the reason that we liked him so much is everything else, the skating, the forechecking, making smart plays. That's why we, I mean, yes, skill, but there's different like costumes, a first round pick. We mm-hmm. expect him to be a producer, and he hasn't been that. So we'll see. But he, he, all the things that Torbchenko is doing right, all the things that we are praising for him, Costin was not yep. doing. Yeah. And that is the reason why I think that Torbchenko has already surpassed Costin on the depth chart. And, yeah. and I think that it's going to be time to say bye-bye. So, um, all right. So for time matters here, what do you think is the biggest concern heading into the off season. So I really, really like what Steven said in his answer for the round table on this one. Um, I know that he's been hammering those types of points home for a while now. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's wise, but uh, my thing was just, you got to find somebody to play next to Colton Pareko. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been an issue since what happened to Jay Bowmeister. And um, I'm, I don't, dislike the idea of re-signing Letty, but I also understand why there's a reason to be scared of the Scandella thing and what happened mm-hmm. there. So that's a problem. Like you can't have Letty and Scandella on the roster next season together. There's just no way no. that makes any sense because you're blocking Prunovich. You're blocking Prunovich as well. So that's mm-hmm. an issue. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at on that. I think finding a left-handed defenseman next to Pareko is very important. I also think what are they going to do with backup goaltending is, a, is an issue because I know Charlie Lindgren could make sense, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues looked on the open market for like, let's say, a, maybe not like a permanent backup, but somebody that you throw in there and have them compete. And if I'm going to throw a name out there, I would say. Chad Johnson. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> a little bit better than that. Uh, I would say probably Braden Holtby or someone like that who's been good. Oh, I'd love but, that. But coming in and competing for a spot could really rejuvenate somebody like that um, mm-hmm. if Holtby's healthy enough to play next year. So I think that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you hit the nail right on the head that for me – Goaltending just needs to be addressed, you know, with the inconsistency of Jordan Bennington here in net, along with the uncertainty of what's going to happen either with a backup or either a tandem partner here with Bennington, because let's face it, he made a good, good, solid outing in the playoffs. And he really did a great job of showing that he can still perform at a high and elite level and steal you games. But boy, he did not prove it during the regular season. And so for that, I think that he is going to still remain with the Blues organization here next year. His paycheck is going to be way too high. That teams just do not want to take on that salary here at this point in time. So again, they need to be able to find either a 1B goaltender or a good backup goaltender. Let Joel Hofer be able to take another year down in the AHL, you know, let him just dominate at that point in time. And Again, whether it be Charlie Lindgren, great. You know, I don't know if he's going to be ready for a full-time NHL position, but man, let him fight for it. So for me, it's it's goaltending. Yeah, that's a big, a big thing. Obviously, I think Bennington definitely solidified himself as the starter mm-hmm. uh, to start next season, no doubt. But yeah. after that, you got to figure it out, and we'll see what they do uh, with that. So now we go to the next one. 
So we go to trades. Do you think they're going to make any trades? And if so, who do you think should be dealt and why? So I don't, I don't see any major trades happening. I know people will talk about Chikrin and Provorov and Sanheim, uh, three left-handed defensemen right there. I know they'll talk about them, mm-hmm. but I really don't see that happening with the state of the team right now. Uh, maybe Chikrin just because his cap hit, he's locked down for a few years and his cap hit isn't outrageous. Maybe, but... Um, it's the window. Yeah, I think a left-handed defenseman would be what they would trade for. And if they were to move on from somebody other than Tarasenko, which I still think is a possibility just because he might still want out and the Blues might be trying to look down the road with the salary cap hit. I don't think people would like it, but I think that that's probably how they're viewing things. Um, and Barbashev is another guy that I could see being traded just to capitalize on the value there. You could probably get a pretty good return with him right now. So that's kind of, Oh, I see. You never know. Armstrong's always got something up his sleeve. You know, the Buchnevich trade last year was something that I was like, I don't love it because I thought they would give up too much. Mm-hmm. But giving up Blay, who I really liked, and then a second round pick was perfectly fine. So they usually get they get trades done at a lower price than you expect. There's a lot of examples of, of Doug Armstrong doing that. So that's that's my assessment of the trademark over the Blues right yeah. there and he he does a great job of really finding those great bargain deals um and somehow you know again he's able to turn sammy blay in a second into pavel buchnevich you know how in the world do you manage that but you know to not just sound like you know we're repeating answers here just constantly it's it's it, i think it's just a clear and obvious thing that the blues must address the defensive pairings in the left-handed side here. So you, as of right now, you know, you've got Tori Krug, Marco Scandella, Scott Perunovic, Nico Mikola, and Nick Letty, should he come back here as well, all playing and wanting and deserving playing time. Scandella is still likely the option that's going to end up getting moved. You know, he's owed $3.25 million for the next two seasons. He's got a modified no trade clause, though. That's the biggest kicker there. So the Blues just can't up and trade him to like Arizona or San Jose or another team, you know, that would, for whatever reason, want him. He's got um, seven teams that he can be able to prevent a trade to. So that's going to be the only tough part. Um, and I doubt he's wanting to go to a team like Buffalo or, or anybody else. So again, hopefully the Blues can find something. I think if they could get like a sixth round pick for him and they that would just be take a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think he could be able to net a sixth round pick here at this point. I, I don't know. I think he could, um, you know, they've only got right now $10 million in cap space and they're going to need every single dollar at this point. If they're wanting to still be able to, stay competitive heading here into next year. So Scandella, I think is the obvious person that's going to get moved out. If you are confident that you are going to need space up in your forward core, then I think it's going to be a forward like Ivan Barbashev that's going to end up getting moved out there as well. Um, Cause we're, we're expecting that Bozak's going to be gone, right? Yeah, I think I retirement's think probably – I mean, he was his numbers this year were not good. Um, yeah. I would think retirement is probably going to be what he does. So a couple of things for me here real quick. So they re-signed Callie Rosen, Callie Rosen two-year, two-way deal, right? Yeah. And if you read my article, my report card with Nico Mikula, you would know that 
I didn't think he was good this year. He's an RFA. I could mm-hmm. see Mikula being traded as well just to move him out of here. Um, because He's, you look at his the end the last two months of his season were abysmal, like yeah. awful. He was like a minus fourteen in the last twenty games of the season. Yeah. So yeah. he he could definitely end up being a piece that's moved out here as well. And again, it could just be a multi-piece trade. Again, if if a guy like Scandella would be willing to move and waive his no trade clause, assuming that Arizona would be on that list of seven teams, I, w- I would have to imagine he's going to be. But imagine if the Blues could somehow package Klim Kostin, Nico Mikola, and Scandella and let that trade by itself is not going to get it done. But imagine, I mean, if all those pieces would end up going along with somebody else and, and or a draft pick for a guy like um, Chikrin. You probably do it. Yeah. And I'm not overly high on Chikrin. Again, if somebody's playing that top two pairing, I need them to be excelling in all positions. Because right now what the team is doing is they are just throwing out guys who specialize in different areas, which is great. But again, I think if you are getting a top pairing left-handed defenseman, I think he needs to almost be a guy who is a jack of all trades. And I don't know if Chikrin is that guy. Probably not, but do they even, do they have one of those now? I think the closest to it is probably Falk. It's closest to it. Yeah. And Pareko could be that guy you know again he's not left-handed defenseman but Pareko could be that guy it just depends on I think his his partner and I just think that it depends on the pressure that he puts on himself yeah because that's what it seems like is that there's a lot of pressure that he puts on internally and this is just me with a 10,000 foot view over what is going on inside the head of Colton Pareko. Cause I have not the slightest clue, but that's just what it looks like here at this point. So, all right, again, um, just for sake of conversation here in time, two different guys. Do you think that Tarasenko will be back in 22, 23? Do you think Peron will be back in 22, 23? I'm much more confident that Perron will be back. Um, get an extension done there, probably a decent price for both sides. And then with Tarasenko, I think he'll be back, but I wouldn't really be that surprised if he was traded. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I have no, honestly, and this is me, I have no doubt that Tarasenko is coming back with all of the Russian connections, with the rejuvenated um, season here that he has had, the love that he has shown after every single post game, everything that he has discussed here about this city, his team, everything. He loves it here. So unless Doug Armstrong absolutely wants to make a move here for him, I, I don't see him leaving. And Peron, I know he wants to remain in St. Louis here as well. So there's only so much that you can be able to do because money you know, and, and I don't think I can be able to say it any other way. Money is a thing, and you can only dish out so much money before you say, hey, sorry, we don't have any more that we can be able to give you here at this point. So if the Blues were to give out Peron, say, like a three-year contract at, at $4 million, even $3.5 million, you know, that would be a hell of a bargain deal. But 
if Perron were to leave St. Louis and go and get a $7 million deal for the next three seasons here as well, neither one of the deals would, would surprise me. It, it just wouldn't. But the opportunity here for Perron to be able to stay in St. Louis is it just a large win-win. Again, he is wanting to stay in St. Louis. He has stated that he wants to stay in St. Louis. And Perron has just been aging like the fine wine of the, the French Canadian here that he is. And it's fantastic here for the Blues. He's not a guy here just as of yet that I don't believe is going to like go up in the rafters or anything, but boy, oh boy, is he looking real good right now. So I think honestly that both guys are coming back. I would lean towards that as well, but you never know. Yeah. All right. Uh, Last question here. And this should be a pretty quick one. Do you think that the blues will bring back Billy Huso? Unless there's somehow nobody else in the, open market interested i don't think that they will no i i just don't i don't see it especially with you know the cost being a factor because you'd like to not pay too much money to two goaltenders um and and the other thing being that there will be options out there and you do have two guys in the ahl that can play if you need them to yeah so yeah i don't see it where do you where else do you think that he goes I believe I wrote Edmonton, right? Depending on how they finish. Yeah. But yeah, as Stephen I, mentioned, New Jersey, Arizona, Detroit are all logical as well. I think Detroit would be a great fit for him. I think it just depends if if he wants to continue to compete. That's the biggest thing. Like if he does not mind going to a team where it is a Stanley Cup challenged team, the sky's the limit. I mean, the guy's going to get paid if that's where he wants to go. But if he says, hey, I want to go on a team that has a chance to win, I don't think it would be in his worst option to just say, I'm going to take a one-year deal to stay in St. Louis so we can try this thing one more time. I Well, I think signing in Edmonton would be best case for him because he would be the starter for sure. They're not going to start mm-hmm. Mike Smith over him. If Smith doesn't retire. Yeah, which after this showing, I mean, geez, they probably should. Um, but, yeah, I feel like Arizona would be a good spot if he wants to get a little bit more money and a guaranteed starting spot on a team that's going to be playing in front of six people and they're going to be terrible. That's fine. They get the uh, student section. They get the yeah, student section. Yeah. Man, they're going to sell out all the time. It's going to be great. They're going to have cheerleaders. It's going to be great. The first game they play there that they'll probably sell out will probably be pretty interesting environment just because of how small it is. But it's just going to be an embarrassment for the league when you get to like February and nobody cares and the team's got like four wins. So, yeah, it's just – I feel bad for Bill Armstrong, but, hey, a lot of time. A lot of time to do some things. He's got some good players there. There's some, you know, St. Louis and Clayton Keller, of course, and – some young up-and-comers there. I don't know if they'll get rid of Chickering, but if they do, maybe throw uh, his old pal Doug Armstrong a bone and give Chickering to the Blues for nothing, but that's just me. Um, but, yeah, Huso's gone. So that's Boy, kind of the Could you imagine – well, so they can't really be able to do that because he's an, a UFA here rather than an RFA. Mm, boy, I was hoping he was going to be an RFA here. No, never mind. <laughs> never mind here on that point. So you think right. Huso's gone? Yeah. It, to me, it just depends what he wants to do. If he wants to remain in a winning position, 
St. Louis, I think, is, is in one of the best positions to still be able to pay him and still remain competitive. But if he wants to change the scenery, I, I don't think that the blue or that Edmonton here would be a bad option. What is cap friendly here have them at next year? Let's see. They're gonna, it's gonna be a very interesting season for him. They are at a projected cap space here of just over seven million dollars next year. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do they have some contracts coming up. Jesse Pugliarvi, Kaylor Yamamoto. Ooh, Kyle Turris. I don't know much about them. Um, and Evander Kane. And I think Evander is going to come back. I think he's going to want to come back. And I think the Oilers are going to want him to be able to come back. So they, they've got some contracts that are coming up here at this, this point. You know, Mike Smith is still signed next year for $2.2 million. He could be a backup to Billy Huso. But oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, are they going to have a hard time? Ooh, yeah, that's going to be rough. Rough. Yep. They're going to have to make some wheeling and dealing. I don't know if Edmonton's going to have the salary cap space to sign. You know, they better hope that there's some entry level contract deals that they can do to help reform a a is, bottom six. So I don't know Duncan, if I can. Is Duncan Key signed for next season? Duncan Keith is signed at oh man, five point five million. Yeah, that's a problem. You got him. You got Nugent Hopkins contract. You got Hyman's contract. You got Drysaddle McDavid, and Darnell Nurse. I think has a deal, right? Yep, Darnell Nurse is going to be making nine point two five. Tyson Berry at four point five. What about Clef? Is Oscar Clefbaum on there? Clefbaum, who hasn't even played this season. He'll be back on there next year. I'm You'll sure he's be making at something. 4.167. Yeah, that is absurd. All right. I mean, Ken Holland's an idiot. I just hate to say it, but he's so yeah. bad at being a GM. He's like, let me literally pay everybody and then not care about goaltending so we can't get as far as we should. Yeah. That's pretty so much this, what he does. This is their season to be able to make a run. And unfortunately, they're they're going to be swept oh. here at this point. So they're up four to two, but I mean, there's still 12 minutes left. Either way, what are they going to lose in five? I mean, what's the difference? Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, let's move forward here. Finish this off with some uh, notes around the Central Division. But this is a special uh, Winnipeg Jets edition. So, shout out to the Jets. I don't really think there's anything else to talk about with any of the other teams in the division at this point. We did a little bit on Arizona there and how great they are. So, uh yeah winnipeg jets few things lots of things going on with the jets yeah elliot friedman here has said that the jets have actually asked about rick tockett for the head coach um he would be a really really interesting option to move forward here um but the big connection here between the blues and the jets is that he has also stated to watch jim montgomery for a coaching position and as you may know, you know, he's an assistant coach here in St. Louis as of right now, was the former Dallas Stars head coach. And so he could end up being a head coaching option here up for the Jets as well. Boy, and that would be a big loss here for St. Louis. And it's it's one that you would see and not be surprising to see move on. But another one that we could still end up seeing is uh, Steve Ott. 
And that's not something from Elliot Friedman. You know, that's something that's been tossed around as an option that you could see be moving on here as well. I don't think Ott is necessarily ready for a head coaching position just as of yet, but I could be surprised. Um, Friedman did also state that there has not been any contract talks yet between Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Jets here just as of yet as well. So some interesting stuff here going out of Winnipeg. I mean, what do you think if the Jets are looking for a new head coach, do you think that they should go for somebody like Rick Tockett or do you think that they should entertain an option like for Jim Montgomery? What do you think? I think, I feel like this has always kind of been, uh, you know, Barry Trotz's job to lose unless Vegas gets him, I guess. Um, it certainly seemed like, I Could believe be he's, Boston. I, yeah, I believe he, I believe Trotz is from Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, I think he interviewed, they, they're interested, but that would be interesting. I think talking would make a lot of sense. Uh, familiar Familiarity with the Western Conference um, did pretty well in Arizona. Mm-hmm. They kind of, Arizona kind of helped him out by, you know, getting rid of him because they were going to be awful if he wouldn't have gotten fired. Either way, they were going to be bad, but they were not as bad his last year there. They were much more competitive for sure. Um, but I definitely think Jim Montgomery's got a good chance to get another head coaching job this year. Steve Ott would, would surprise me a little bit, be a little bit of a wild card to get one. I think I think there's a way for teams to view him as ready. He's been with Baruby a few years now, very important part. He's pretty much been Baruby's number one guy for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big factor here. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I – I would definitely bet on the Blues losing one assistant coach this this uh, this summer. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, and it would be really tough to lose a guy here like Jim Montgomery. You know, you know, he took the 2018-19 Dallas Stars. You know, they had the 43-32 and seven record. They lost to the Blues in double overtime of Game Seven. He did a lot with a team that I think that necessarily shouldn't have been going as far as what they did. You know, so to see him going up there. To Winnipeg, I think with a team that's probably going to be worse, you know, let's face it. And yeah. again, you know, they haven't even started discussions with Pierre-Luc Dubois, which is a bad sign. Doesn't that feel like a place that's going to blow up a lot of its like group? Like they, I, they if, you would have, if you would have asked me two weeks ago whether they would trade Mark Shifley, I would say yes, but I don't think they're going to trade him. I no. think it's going to be a lot of what's around him. Like, I think Shifley would have made a lot of sense to trade him this summer if you were going to do it, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think Cheval Dayoff said they weren't going to do it. So, um, but other than that, it's like Blake Wheeler's getting up there. At what point do you, do you let go of him? You got some core pieces to build around. I'd include Shifley in that. I, I would include Dubois in that if they can figure that out, Morrissey and Hellebuck. But other than that, there's a lot of work to be done with that team. And, and obviously I think, Giving up Ross Levick and Line A probably had to be done. At least Line A was kind of like, that's enough. And I'm very glad he got out of the Central Division. Uh, Line A, that is. But, um, yeah, it certainly feels like the Jets are kind of going to be a middling rebuilding team. Like, you look at the Central right now, before the summer, going into next offseason, like, there's maybe three contenders that I'm, for, that I'm sure that are going to be contenders. The Blues, the Wild, and the Avs. Yeah. After that, it's like, the stars need a new head coach, right? So, mm-hmm. 
who knows what they're going to be They're They got a lot of guys aging as well with Ben and Sagan. And they obviously have some really, really good young talent. I've always liked Rope Hans a lot. Haskins a stud. Jason Robertson's great. I don't know what they are. I don't know what Nashville is at this point. I think Nashville will probably still be pretty good because of the reliability on the back end and goaltending. Uh, Chicago and Arizona are both going to be bad again. Winnipeg has got $20 million in cap space, <clears throat> which is insane to think about. Uh, this is if, you, this is if a- you notice, hmm, I'm on cap friendly here right now. Chicago does not have a starting goaltender listed as of right now. Villa Huso. If Villy Huso were to sign in Chicago, St. Louis Twitter just don't go on it that day is all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. But that would not be a bad option, I think, if you're Billy Huso. Yeah, I agree. That ooh, that would be interesting. Oh boy. So the problem is you just you got to make sure you finish in the top three in the central next year because I think the Pacific is going to have a lot of contenders, whether it's Calgary is going to be good again. I think Vegas is definitely going to be better than what they were. Uh, LA is up and coming. Edmonton will always be contending in some form with McDavid and Dreisaitl there. And then San Jose, I mean, no. Uh, Anaheim, I think, will be probably solid. And then uh, Seattle, no. So I think I probably forgot somebody, but whatever. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. I think, I think we just about covered it. Yeah. I think next episode we're going to try and get Steven on. Um, and so we can be able to start previewing what the off season should look like. Maybe do a small little bit of draft preview here as well. Cause we've got about a month, month to the draft. Month? Yeah. Here until the draft. Maybe we could try to also get, whether it's a hockey writers person or just somebody in the hockey world, maybe uh, somebody who covers the draft much closer than we do. Yeah. Try to get somebody on like that a week before the draft. So we'll try to figure that out as well, but that'll do it for us for episode number nine of the blue note podcast on the believe network. Follow the Twitter at TBN pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Ethan Carter SW. You can follow Mike on Twitter at danger powers 19. And we'll see you next time for episode number 10 of the blue note podcast thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube